Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Welcome to The Mentor. I'm Mark Boris. Madison Stefanos, welcome to The Mentor. Thank you for having me, Mark. And I'd say you'd be probably close to one of our youngest guests. How old are you now? 22. Still uni? No. Not uni? I've deferred for the third time. Third? What were you doing? I was doing entrepreneurship and marketing. Where, which uni? RMIT in Melbourne. RMIT in Melbourne. And where are you living now? In Burley Heads. Um, on the Gold Coast, okay. Yes. And why did you defer for the third time? The business got in the way. And Simplest answer I can give you. The business called 35 Millimeter, which you're the founder, yeah? Yes. Okay. Well, that's usually a good reason. I mean, you can always go back to university. You can't go back to business. It's true. In other words, if the business is sort of um, demanding now and the opportunity is now, you've got to do it now. Universities, the opportunity is always there. Exactly. If you feel that way. What did your parents say when they said, I'm going to defer university? A little bit apprehensive. I actually had a chat to mom yesterday. I don't know that I'll ever go back to uni. I'm not sure where I stand on it and I don't want to be someone who bashes going to uni because I do think it's important for certain degrees, but they're supportive. They've always been supportive of it. Yeah, so uh, I presume, well, we're going to talk about 35mm co, um, 35mm co. What, what do you call it for short? 35. Well, And what's the reloader? What's that mean? So it's our camera that we sell. Oh, it's that's your a, camera? Yes. Yeah, My mum actually came up with the name. The reloader. I told her it was really daggy at the start, but eventually it stuck. You know, sometimes mums and dads come up with some cool stuff. Agreed. You, you'll make it cool though, I, I've no doubt. <laughs> so just tell me a little bit about, yourself first. So Madison, I guess your parents only call you Madison, so I'll call you Maddie. That's probably what you get called when you're in trouble. Madison, where are you? Pretty much. (laughs) Okay, Maddie. So uh, what made you decide to go into, I don't know, I will describe it, the vintage camera deal? Vintage, old school. Yeah, it was completely by accident. When I was 15, I was given an old film camera for my birthday had no idea how to use it, thought it would be cool to shoot film, wanted to be a little bit alternative. Sat on a shelf in my bedroom for three years, never used it. And so when I was 19, I decided to pop it up on sale on Facebook, listed it for $50 and it sold for 250 So me being the little business-minded person I am, that was like my light bulb moment. Decided there's something here, let's start selling cameras. Why did you put it up for 50 bucks? Did you, did you, who gave it to you, by the way? My parents. Your parents. And what did you think when they gave you this um, old school camera? I'd asked for it. Uh, so, you, you did want it. Yeah, I was wrapped. I'm pretty sure I shot one roll of film on it. Looked rubbish. 
terrible photos. And so it sat on my shelf for years. And then I didn't know anything about the market. I just assumed that $50 was a reasonable price point for an old vintage camera. And people started bidding on it on Facebook. The comments exploded. And someone said, I'll take it off you for $250. Wow. Do you think you could have got a bigger bid? Probably. Yeah. And and well, what were the comments on Facebook? Was this Facebook market, was it? Yes, yeah, Facebook well, Marketplace. Yeah. What what what, are, what were the sort of comments? Like, what, what Just incremental bidding. What, what were people saying though? I want this. It's- yeah. And it was young people who wanted it, which is something I really didn't understand. I expected to sell it to, you know, someone a little bit older. Yeah. Someone that might have been a collector or whatever. Yes. Correct. That's interesting. And you learned early, 18, 19 years of age, that you can flip something um, that you that you got as a, a gift. But it's pretty hard to sort of say you could do it again because if you were to go out and buy another one, you're going to have to pay 250 yourself. So, I mean, where, where, was it a flip after that or what did you start doing? How, how did you sort of strategize? How am I going to tap into this market? There was a flip. So I took that 250 and kept flipping straight away, went overseas. I scoured every buy and sell platform, eBay, Etsy, anything I could find, ended up finding a guy in Amsterdam who would go scour these vintage markets and buy these cameras for me. And because in overseas and in Europe, there was such an abundance of flea markets and vintage goods. He was able to send me large quantities that we didn't have access to here in Australia or the price point was much higher. So it was just buying and reselling at a higher price point. Yeah, but it is an arbitrage. And um, in order to do the arbitrage, you had to go and find where there was less demand. And so that, that was pretty clever. So How'd you find the dude in Amsterdam, was it? He had an Etsy store. Did he? Yeah, so I just sent him a message. I wonder what I said to him. I probably said, how many of these can you get me and at what price? Really? Yeah, yeah. Just just straight up? Yeah, straight up. And he sent me the first box. I think he was a little bit sceptical. And two weeks later, I said, I need more. And then then what do you do? The moment you got him, you flipped him straight up? Pretty much. I started very informally, Facebook Marketplace, Depop, buy and sell platform that people use. And then I started an Instagram page, decided let's try and give away one of these cameras and see if there's any sort of demand for it. The account gained 5,000 followers overnight. So that was my biggest insight. I remember thinking, well, there's really something here. And so what sort of, when you say cameras, vintage cameras, I mean, what are we talking about? So what is a a 35 millimeter camera? I mean, well, so Is we're it one talking. Of those ones that gives the automatic thing comes flipping out like those old Polaroids. What are we talking about? No, so we're talking about the thirty-five millimeter film rolls to preface. I don't know anything about photography. I have no background at all, so I was learning on the job. You've got your old school SLRs, medium format, and then point and shoots, which is what I was selling. Essentially, how it sounds: you point it, take the picture. And then you complete the roll of film, go and get it developed and you get your photos back. So this is why Kodak went broke because people stopped using film. I know. It's so, a little bit ironic, isn't it? Yeah, totally. So uh, I didn't even know you could get film developed now. There are places you can get film developed. So many places. Really? Yeah. Is that a new trend or that's always been the case? I think it's always been the case, but there has been an abundance of film labs opening in the last two years. In response to the popularity of, of film? Yeah. Why do you think... People, it's probably a complex question, but why do you think people are interested in taking moments on film? I think this gives us a really good opportunity to chat about Gen Z. I think that we've grown up in the digital age. We've all had iPhones for as long as we can remember. I can sit here with you, Mark, try and take a photo of you for the mentor Instagram. I'll take 50 photos so that you can find the perfect one. If you've got a film camera, you snap that one shot. 
go and get your film developed. Two weeks later, a month later, you probably can't even remember what the photos are of. You get that photo back and you're instantly a lot more forgiving of it because it's only one. So I think that it's a really nice way, look, to be a little bit more forgiving of ourselves, but also we sell a camera, but we're selling memories. We're actually selling an experience. Why do you think your customers want it? Like, do you ask them? Do, I mean, do you ever actually go and say, well, why, why are you buying this camera? Like, yeah, of course. I think at surface level, it's cool. It's alternative. It's funky. It makes you stand out from the crowd a little bit. It is, that is pretty surface level though. Yes. That, that's yeah. cool. That That's cool. But is there? A, but do you think there's a deep? I, I get the cool bit. You know, like it's sort of like, wow, what's that? That's cool. Um, but is there anything? Is there anything more deep seated in it? Like a some sort of really deep stuff that there's a? It's more tactile than the mobile phone. Like because I mean, I I pull out my mobile phone, does everything as you know. But you know, it's you know, I'm sort of I sort of live on this thing. You know what I mean? And uh, it sort of bores the shit out of me. Yeah, um, I'm bored with my own phone. For all the obvious reasons, because I'm just—it's like work as well to me. It's not—it's not play. Exactly. There's no play in this at all. I might take a photo of you, but it's no play in it at all. In fact, I can actually set this to vintage anyway. Yes. And get the same outcome. You know, there's apps where I can download. It gives me, you know, Maddie Stefanis in vintage look. Yes. As if I took it on here. Um. So this here gives me a a hard copy. Do people still like to collect hard copies? They do. Yeah, hard copies, but I think more so, and funnily enough, it contradicts itself, digital copies of film photos. So when you go and get your film developed, yep. you can either get physical prints or digital scans, which are texted or emailed to your phone. Right, okay, or both. Yep. And and do they give you uh, the negatives like they used to? You can collect the negatives, but very rarely do people keep them. Right, they, because the only reason I used to collect the negatives when I was younger is it so that you can get them printed again if you yes, want to get, the get them redeveloped yeah. instead of going back with the photo you have the hard copy and saying can you take a photo of that yes and then reprint it for me i'm much more forgiving of film photos of myself i often tend to post film photos over digital i like how i look yeah what, much and, better okay can you explain to me then what what do you believe is the way you look what is it what is the look is vintage better looking i think this is a very gen z perspective. My generation don't like to put effort into things. We want to play it off as that we're effortlessly cool. Kind of like the concept, I just woke up like this. So I think that film photos portray that element of I snapped the photo, I'm putting it on Instagram, no effort involved. I didn't go through my phone and start to um, work it up. In other words, change this, change that. Yeah. And this is what this is what actually looked like. Actually pretty good. Yeah. Is this driven then by Ego? I think so. We're a very egocentric generation. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. In the nicest way, egotistical and want to present themselves in the best possible light. Completely. I open up my iPhone, log on to Instagram. Comparison is the thief of joy. I'm instantly looking at people who are smarter, funnier, prettier than me. Yeah, I think that we're very egocentric as a generation. I think it's definitely I'd like to look yeah. as good as that. It's yeah. the aspiration. It's not. Yeah, okay, because the aspiration. So it's not really therefore egotistical such it is in that it's about me i just want to look as good as that if i get this camera i can achieve that correct i also think there's this wave of boycotting time on your phone what does let's that mean? step back let's log off instagram for a weekend we're increasingly seeing influencers post sorry i haven't been online i turned my phone off for the weekend and so i think that the film camera is a perfect solution to that on your saturday night out with friends 
put your phone away, that's your camera for the night. You've received those memories two weeks later. Yeah, that's that's a thing. I think so. Wow, she can live off her phone. She, oh, sorry, she can live away from her phone for the weekend. Yeah. But she's still got, still got photographs. Yes. Do you do that? Sometimes. Look, I work on my phone. I don't think I ever put it down. But what is the feeling they get when they turn up to wherever they go to on a Friday night or a Saturday night and they got their camera, 35mm camera in the hand as opposed to their mobile phone? I almost think it plays into you're the life of the party if you've got a film camera. Really? Is it an attention thing? You've got a film camera. I'm not a big partier, but say you're on a night out, you get random people coming up to you, take a film photo of me. We see... People go to festivals and find film cameras on the floor, the disposables, the single-use ones. Yeah, yeah. And I'm in a couple of Facebook groups where people go and get other people's photos developed and say, hey, I found these pictures at a festival. Does anyone know who it is? People love it. It's almost like this hunt to find out whose memories these are. If I stuck that around my neck and I turned it up, some of the people would have gone, what the fuck? Like, mm. Dude, yeah, yeah, you know, like that's old school. Yeah. But you're actually saying it's the opposite. I think it's the opposite. We've definitely seen pushback from, look, your age group. They just don't understand it. And that's completely fine. There is a generational gap there. Yeah, I think that it makes you the life of the party. I love the fact that I can get my film photos, print them, put them in an album, show my kids one day. I'm sure that, do you ever look through old photo albums? It's the best. Yeah, totally. So my generation thinks it's cool to know how to use one of these. Your generation thinks it's cool to have one of these, a 35mm, so it's flipped. We want what we can't have. Or what you've never experienced. Yes, exactly. Well, this whole vintage movement, I mean, the vintage movement is not just in cameras, it's across the board, it's in lots and lots of different things, shoes, handbags, um, you know, uh, watches, particularly watches. I, I saw an article about Rolex the other day, how Rolex, the organisation, which by the way is a charity, um, Rolex is run by, is a charitable foundation, and uh, they've now gone out and trying to take control of the resale market or the grey market for Rolex watches, older watches. And they've done such a good job that what you were buying for $5,000 per old watch, I mean something made in 1960 in reasonable condition, today is like 20000 if you can find one. Yeah, wow. And yeah, so this whole, what do you attribute this whole change in the way your generation is thinking about old school stuff? It's so fascinating. I read an article the other day by W Magazine. It was titled, Why Does 90s Nostalgia Feel So Good Right Now? And it doesn't make sense. Gen Z didn't live through the 90s. I think, look, I don't know where it came from. I genuinely, I'm not sure that I can give you an answer, but I think that it's trickled down through pop culture, whether that be music, art, celebrities. Gigi Hadid famously has an Instagram account where she posts all her film photos. Frank Ocean showed up to the Met Gala with his contacts film camera. There's a photo of him on the steps. After that, prices doubled for that camera. You look at Prada, the major fashion houses, the nylon shoulder bag, it's back. It's slowly permeating our culture and I don't know why. I'm not sure if it's this longing for simpler times that we never lived through. Yeah, that's It's that- almost like a mystery. Yeah, I think that lots of celebrities or influencers have made certain fashion pieces such a talking point. There's handbags that have been coined by particular influential people as, I'm not sure if you're familiar with her, Matilda Jerf, famous fashion influencer for Gen Z. There's a Louis Vuitton shoulder bag that she wears. Everyone attributes it to her. So so maybe it's not that your generation wants to go vintage, but it's more you're being influenced by influencers to say this is what you should be doing. Yes, I think so. And therefore it's about being, again, fashionable and cool. And fashionable and cool means 
having anything I can get my hands on, anything that's vintage that I can get my hands on, that's respectable. Yes, and almost anything I can get my hands on that other people can't. Is it an exclusivity thing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's about it's that's amazing. Um, you know, I'm just trying to think what I've got at my house that's um, old and cool that I, that I probably normally I would throw the shit out and say oh, I'm going to get rid of it. You know, I don't want to. I don't want to have it. Man, like record players. Yes, is new. Is new. Like they're back. Cool record players. Records are cool. I went and bought a record player the other day, um, and it's 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 a new record player, but it looks old. And, what um, was it? A Crosley? Yeah, no, it's not a Crosley. It's a Fenton. Better than that. Yeah. Okay. It's it's a bit more. I got a Crosley, um, yeah. but it, but I just find the sounds shit. Yeah. Okay. It sounds pretty crap. It's pretty uh, tinny and everything like that. I, I do have one, um, but I decided I'm going to get a really good one, and then the whole process of buying it was really really cool. I enjoyed it so much. I was talking to the dude. It's a bloke, you know, has a record shop and he knew everything about all these record players and he's telling me which one to get because I had to, you know, I have to set up with an amplifier and speakers and I have, I already have that stuff sitting there, old stuff. I have old B&O system. Like B&O stuff, Bang & Olufsen put out a thing called a, a, a like B.O. Center or something like that, which used to play six CDs and then it was connected up to um, amplifier-based speakers. And, uh, and I've had these things, i got... Quite three of these systems, right? Don't ask me why. Long story, but um, and I was, I thought I might just go and look this stuff up, and started going through Google, blah blah. blah. Next thing I find out is this stuff that I paid quite a bit of money for twenty five years ago. In one case, thirty five years ago, is now selling for nearly three times what I paid for it. I went shit. Crazy. This stuff's really expensive. Yeah. And then I'm trying to work out who the hell wants to buy it. We can go to the bank and office store and buy the new stuff. So I went to the Bang & Office store and asked the guy and he said, that stuff, that old stuff, Bang & Office is actually going to do a new version of that old stuff looking exactly the same as it used to look, just more digital now. A re-edition. A re- yeah. yeah. And uh, I got a surprise and I started thinking about this whole vintage industry and then I was at a place, I won't say where, but I was at a place and I went to a vintage store. I started looking at old furniture and I looked at this uh, chair um, that was allegedly designed by the father of a well-known Italian furniture designer that I know and uh, and the price for it was ridiculous and I thought that can't be right. So I actually rang up the guy I know and I said, did your dad design this particular chair because they were um, attributing it to him? And uh, he said, well, dad's 96 now. He said, he's got dementia. He said, well, I'm going to ask him. So I sent a photograph of it. He went and he asked his dad, and of course, dementia means you can't remember what's going on now, but you remember yes. what you did a long time ago. And his father did design it like uh, 55 years ago or something, maybe longer. And um, and now I know why this particular chair, and I was going to buy it, but someone else went and bought it. because so, someone. And I reckon they wouldn't have done the research because they wouldn't have had, had access to the dude that I had access to the guy, right? Um, so they wouldn't have been able to check it. I was only prepared to buy it once I checked that it actually did have um, this sort of history. And... Uh, but someone else went and bought it. They only had it out there for a day. They put it up on on their Instagram page, and it was sold. So I'm trying to work out a who are these people are with all this money, but b why people are so infatuated with old stuff. It's funny you bring up the furniture thing. We're decking out a new office at the moment, and I'm looking at vintage couches that have made a comeback. Which which period? Mid century. Mid century. Sixties last year. Yeah. Mm. Yep. So I, I know they look like they've got – you've got legs on them. Yes. Yeah, and they sort of sit up a bit taller. A lot of time they're velvet. Yes, correct, velvet couches. Mm. And you go on this website, they release new drops every Monday, sold out within 10 minutes. 
Can't get Seriously? my hands on a couch for the no. life of me. And well, they're so expensive. And this is this Australian mob? Yes. Selling them? Yes. Yeah, that, and they're making them, I guess. Or they or they're finding them. No, they're replicas. They're making them. Yeah, so stuff that was done in the sixties um is cool again. Yeah. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. So I'm back from the break and I'm here with Maddie and right in front of me there's a box with 35 millimeter code written on it and then underneath that with trademark written on top of it is some the words the reloader. So before I unbox this box, what is the reloader? So the reloader is it's a reusable film camera. So we haven't innovated anything. We've just taken an old concept. People are obsessed with single-use Kodak disposable cameras the ones where you wind the film, you take the photo, you get it developed and the camera goes in the bin. So essentially all we were doing was addressing the single-use pain point by creating something reusable. Is that are you trying to sort of um, lock into environmentally friendly type thing? It's something that I feel a little bit funny speaking on because it's still made out of plastic. It is a massive goal of ours this year to start making the reloader from recycled plastic, but essentially we're reducing the amount of landfill that disposable cameras were causing. Yeah. So, and is your generation or other generations for that matter, are they conscious of that? In other words, just throwing the camera away once it's used and becoming therefore interested to buy your 35 millimeter camera? I think so. I think it's a huge focus, but there was also a price pain point when it came to single use cameras. They sit at $30 mark right now. That's 99. Right. So you can buy one of those or you can go and buy three single use cameras, keep chucking them in the bin. And the 35 millimeter camera, it, I, I guess what it does is it focuses itself. Yes. You don't sort of have to play around no. stuff around. You just take a fo- photograph when you want. Point and shoot. Um, and do, do you make these, your, your yes. organization these? Yes. And do you make them where in China? Is it made in China? China? Yeah. And, um, and do, do, can you, what's that little click thing there? What's that? It turns on the flash. It's a flash. <laughs> That's cool. And um, I, I presume there's a strap or something and people can wear these around the neck or something like that, like, you know, like exactly. No neck straps yet, but yes, we do have interchangeable yeah. straps. You yeah. Walk, you walk into a party with that thing and we go, what the fuck? It's a good idea. I might steal that idea if you mark. Yeah. <laughs> what if you, what is that? Oh, cool. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like everybody wants to know because they hello, I'm here. Yeah. Yeah. Maddie's here. She's got, she's got a camera around her neck as usual. Yeah. It's, it's a beautiful box actually. It says, say goodbye to single use and hello to your new reusable memory maker. 
which is sort of spot on. You know, you're going right to the purpose of why you have a camera and it's about memories. Yes. It's not about taking photographs. It's about memories and why memory is so important. Well, there's a whole lot of reasons why memory is important because it's one of the few things we get in life, memory. And it's got a little heart on there and it's, it's a beautiful box actually. It's very, very nicely done. Thank you. Um, it's actually, it's our summer packaging. So they don't usually look like that. Right. That was our limited edition holiday run. And and how have you decided the colours? I mean, can you get any, can people order any colour? or? We started with blue. We launched only with blue, gender neutral. That's your colour. Yeah, that was our colour. We've now got a whole range of colours. Right. Well, don't worry because uh, Henry Ford said you can have the Model T Ford in any colour as long as it's black. So yeah, it, it's okay to have one colour. But it, it's pretty cool. Um, I remember these and you just um, unclick the back and you go to the somewhere and buy the film for it. Correct. Where do you buy film for this? Anywhere. Anywhere. There's a world film shortage, which I think is important that we touch on. Right, okay. So throughout the last two years, there's been periods where getting 35mm film has been really difficult. Why? There's a certain, I can't give you the technical explanation because I actually don't know, but I believe that there's a certain material in the film that's sourced from the US that isn't being acquired at the moment. Yeah. So it's totally slowed down production. Right. There is no chance it's going to stop, is there? I don't think so. Yeah, okay. But you can see, so and this is a great gift, of course, um, when you don't know what to give to somebody for that matter. And by the way, most most of us don't know what to give to anyone anymore. Someone was talking to me the other day about the concept of, um, you know, the parties people have before they get married or the parties someone has before they have a kid, shower tea party, whatever these things are called. And, um, and I, I thought about the nonsense of that because these things evolved because no one had anything. And if you're getting married, better have a kid. Um, most people don't have any money. And what we do is to call our friends and our friends might bring around you know, a cradle or a cot or baby the clothes and yeah. stuff like this because you needed it. Yeah. Like, but people, most people get married today, for example, they've already got everything. They've already got a kettle. Oh, and they don't want double toast. ups. No, totally. And, uh, and uh, they've got everything. So therefore there's a nonsense in that in that process from my point of view. So it's very hard, therefore, to buy things for people, particularly couples. And I would have thought these sorts of gifts at 90 bucks, nicely boxed, is like a a really cool gift. Yeah. They do incredibly well at Christmas time. One yeah. of our retailers, who we only just recently launched into, said that for weeks on end it was their best product on the gifting table. And so where do you sell this through? Which retailers? We're on our website. We're currently in Universal Store. We've got a few more. I'm not sure when this podcast is launching. We have a few coming in the next few weeks. Okay, but you, you're going to get on shelves. Yes, yeah, correct. Your intention is to get on shelves. Yes. Okay. And, and it retails now for 90 bucks. 99 $99. It's just under 100 bucks. Well, why'd you pick 100 bucks? Why'd Perfect. you pick under 100 Perfect price point for e-commerce. Yeah. For anyone, I think that if you're looking to buy someone a good gift, 99 is a perfect price. Obviously, it gives us room to go on sale to discount. I think it's just a really accessible price point. We were selling, or I was selling the vintage cameras for upwards of $250. And so we wanted to provide a reusable op- option at a lower price point. That's very interesting because I was only thinking about this morning because someone gave me many years ago as a gift um, these little Turkish coffee holders, things to put, you know, put Turkish coffee, Greek coffee in. Um, he was he, he, he was Turkish. So he gave a Greek Turkish coffee mug, but it doesn't matter. And uh, <laughs> But anyway, um, and uh, I, I looked at it this morning because sometimes I make Greek coffee in the morning, um, you know, use the brick in blah, blah, blah. He bought to get these pretty cheap. And I thought to myself, probably would have spent 100 bucks on them. And I thought, what is the appropriate amount of money 
that you spend on someone where you don't overspend, but at the same time you don't look like a cheapskate. Mm. And I, I thought to myself, a hundred bucks is probably about right when they're not like your closest friend. Yes, you know, you're not your brother, your cousin, your uncle, or anything like that. It's just someone you know, and you wanted to give them something to celebrate something that's happened, but you wanted them to, you to see that it's significant enough. And uh, and I think a hundred dollars is about right. I mean, that's just my own anecdotal feeling, but you're saying that this is an e-commerce um, fact. A hundred bucks for a gift is re- respectable. Yeah, I think so. You get to give yourself a pat on the back. Hundred bucks, nice gift. You feel quite respected for it. Yeah, and so in terms of making sure that that's good value for your consumer, you've gone about saying, "Well, I'm going to give them a nice box. Yeah, it's going to be nicely gifted. So when someone opens it up, it's a nice." Experience. Unboxing experience, yes. Yeah, so, and, and that's a big thing. Yeah, huge. Yeah, no, it totally is because like you've a lot is forgiven if the boxing moment or the unboxing moment is pleasurable. That box caused us more pain than the camera to manufacture. I, I bet it did. So my, my whiskey, I, I, I boxed my whiskey and, uh, my God, the amount of trouble we had trying to get the box, it was similar, sort of similar to this, so many different um, inputs into the box, making the box, you know, like where it gets stamped. I mean, it, that's raised. I can feel that's raised. Yeah. The 35 millimeter part's raised. That, that, that's, a, that's, that's a mission in itself. Yeah. Making sure that the box actually opens properly, you know, like nicely and then getting the camera to fit in there properly and then getting all this stuff. That's all raised too. So it's embossed. There's a lot of detail in that. Our first few samples didn't have, it stopped here. That's where the printing stopped. Right. And so we had all these issues with, how do we get a box that's printed all over? Making the foam the right size. Yeah, it was this whole yeah, ordeal. It's weight. Yeah. And it's got a it's got, and you get it stuff made in China. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty hard, eh? That's not easy. That the boxes for us took us longer to work out than it did to distill the recipe to distill the whiskey. Yeah. Same situation. Like it was ridiculous. Yeah. That's pretty cool. And you got good margins on this stuff? I mean, you you enjoy yes. you enjoy yeah. good margins, yeah. Yeah. And and when you went to find someone to make them for you, manufacture them for you, how did you go about that process? I hopped straight on Alibaba, Yep. found a few manufacturers, wasn't really having much luck to be completely honest. I'd never manufactured anything before. So you learn how to speak to overseas suppliers. You know, they like to take you for a bit of a ride and you kind of learn how to avoid that after a while. So I ended up reaching out to a sourcing company who took over the communication for our first lot of cameras and then... Now we do it internally. I've got a production manager who has, she's in her 50s, so she has plenty of experience with manufacturing and she's incredible. She handles the whole thing. Yeah. So uh, does she speak Chinese? No, she doesn't. No. no. She, but she just knows how to deal with them. Yes. Yeah. And, and what's what, what's the minimum order these days? For those ones, it was 2000 for our 2000. first order. That's not bad. Yeah. That's not too bad. So, you, 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 so business like this is a bit capital intensive even that, that you have to buy, well, you have to design it. That process is is capital intensive. And it also takes time before you time before you get a return. But then you have to go and buy the inventory. And if you stuff it up, you're stuck with the inventory. I feel like I'm sighing at you over cash flow. Yeah, it's yeah, true. It's true, yeah? Yeah. And so how have you funded your business so far? Just through my savings. Right. I invested all of my savings. So you bootstrapped it. Yeah. You know, you're doing it yourself. Yeah. Is it your just your business, just you? Just me. Yeah, just you. Not bad for a 22-year-old. I mean, you'd, maybe you should go back to university and give them a, a, a lecture or do a tutorial or something <laughs> or set the exam. Maybe that's probably your next uh, entree into university. You can go uh. back. <laughs> but they should because, like, this is the sort of stuff they should teach at university. It's true. But they're not going to teach you this no. at university. I don't know that they'll ever teach it at university. No, no. They'll, they'll, well, they probably do in 
places like Harvard and those sorts yes. of places, but, but they do it on a case study. So they'll take yeah. they'll take your whole case study apart and they'll make the students do it. But that's a place like Harvard because um, unfortunately most of the lecturers don't have any experience in these things themselves, so they can't really teach it. It's true. And what 20-year-old goes, I'm going to be a uni lecturer. Mm, yeah. Well, but I don't know. There's, there's, I, 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 World's changing. Yeah, I you think never the know. world is changing and, you know, university will change just like everything else has changed um, as long as it doesn't go back to the way it used to be like, like cameras have. So <laughs> where do you want to take all this? I mean, where do you want to go from here? I mean, you've got these cameras, they're beautifully boxed, they're well-priced and they seem to be popular. You're tapping into a, you know, a, a good concept, a good vein, um, this vintage demand. Where do you want to go with all this? Look, we've got a few avenues up our sleeve. We're releasing something in February for, without giving too much away, big life moments. Big life moments. So I think that milestone occasions in your lives, which yeah. I think will be really incredible for us tapping into an older demographic. We've got accessories. We've got, I guess my question for you is we've solved a problem by yeah. creating a reusable product, but where's our repeat purchase rate? Once yeah. you have one, you don't need another one. So yeah. I don't know where I want to take it because what do you do apart from expand into new markets, get new wholesalers? Well, I guess one way you could do is integration, vertical integration. So um, I mean, apart from all the accessories, um, how do you ex- how do you accessorize something like that? That's one way. I'll go back a step. You can't sell any more if if it's a good quality product and it's lasting and it's not meant to be thrown out. Um, you are therefore constrained as to how many you can sell. It's true. But in terms of let's just take Australia for example. You're starting from the beginning. Right now, there's very few Australians who didn't even have one of these. So that's a pretty big market. Assuming everybody wants one, there's, you know, got a 26 million market. And, you know, and over time people will, you know, lose them and break them and all that sort of stuff. So you get sort of refills. But if you re- – you wouldn't remember, but when the BlackBerry phone first came out, which is like a, a way predecessor to these things. My best friend had a BlackBerry when okay. I was in primary school. Well, the business that designed the BlackBerry – was a business that I was a chairman of in America. I was a chairman of that business. It's called PDT, Product Design Technology. It's a big business and um, all our team were experts in um, communications, uh, mechanical design, electrical uh, engineering of communication systems. And so we were retained by Motorola to design the BlackBerry and we are also then retained by, um, who was it now, uh, Motorola to design the Razor. I don't know if you remember the Razor phone that came out. Yes. And uh, which is pretty cool. And again, in those days, they didn't have new new iterations. iPhone wasn't out, et cetera. Samsung wasn't around. So people just bought one and they didn't change over. The way um, our client made more money was then engage us to design accessories. Mm. Charging plugs, change that get a better one, a faster one, a quicker one, a cheaper one, a better-looking one, um, things to wear around your neck, which is actually, to use, believe it or not, people used to put their black around their neck. Yeah. Um, it sounds a bit weird, but they did. Um, and uh, it, it was all about accessorising these things and just continuing continuing to accessorise these things. Um, most of them were designed to have a, a certain life in an engineering sense, in a mechanical engineering sense. So mechanical engineering as opposed to the industrial design. So the mechanical design, they were designed to last for, let's say in this case, 3,000 clicks. It's like your iPhone. 
Yeah. Everyone's iPhone's magically life. stop working There's when the life. new one comes out. Yeah, it's a life. <laughs> and cars too. Yes. And and organize, people have been doing this with cars for a long time. Yeah. And they magically mechanically fail or start to get close to failure. So that's one way you can make your market repeat buy. Accessorising is, is a big deal. You haven't touched the sides in Australia yet because – no one's got one of these things. We're starting all over again. It's true. And uh, But another way that most of these organisations used to operate is that they would integrate. So they would say, by the way, you need film, so we'll develop our own film system. So we'll start to sell film. film. Or you will white label someone else's ability to sell film. But then you've got to convince that organisation who makes the film, say the film company in America, wherever the film comes from, 35mm film comes from, you got to you got to convince them that you can help them sell more film by you putting your label on it or your brand on it. Yes. So they make it, you sell it. So you pick up some margin, but also you pick up more sales by the film. Now I don't know whether you can integrate over time or buy a even you know you might want to raise some money down the track and you can go and buy someone who develops this film because you've got to develop film. Yeah. It doesn't happen magically. Got, no. We don't sit there in a dark room and like in those spooky movies where dudes are developing film. Um, you, you, someone's got to develop it. So over time I think a business like this could integrate or alternatively maybe the way to go think about it is it's only got, it's going to reach a zenith. It's going to reach a point at which I'm saturated. Before that point I sell it. Yeah, and I think that's something that has always been the end goal for me. I sell it. Yeah, but you won't don't want to sell it at saturation point because you won't get a big enough multiple because they'll know that it's saturated. They'll just give you a multiple of profit. You want to be selling it when you get a multiple of sales. So that's when you can prove to them that there's a lot of upside. Yeah, it's on an upward trajectory. Yeah, correct. Yeah. So then, and and. There's choices. You can you can get wait until you make a whole lot of profit and they'll give you a multiple of profit, but there's no growth or not much growth. Or they'll give you you can sell it way before that when there's a big multiple because there's um you're just in your early stages. And you can have prototypes of all the things you're gonna sell with it, like all the accessorization, etc. Um, you know, that that's for, but for me that's the process. Because the only time you really want to think about how I can make something scalable is if it is something scalable. In other words, it's something that it's a throwaway type item. Yeah. And that this is the direct opposite to that. It's true. So to answer your question, you can scale to what the market says. The market says, you know, people, if everyone in Australia want to win, you're going to sell 26 million of them. That's probably not bad. And um, and then you can sort of start to work around the mechanical design of it. Does it, you know, fail after so many clicks, which I – um, I'd imagine it does. I mean, there's no way in the world this is just going to click on forever. Yeah, I think that it also depends how you handle it. If you're throwing it around, you're dropping it. I mean, I don't know what the the design is on the inside. I'd love to pull it apart and have a look, but it, it's plastic, I'd say. Yes. Plastic wears. Yeah, correct. Yeah, so it's it's not like titanium or stainless no. steel or something like that because that would be too too expensive an input and it would also be quite heavy. So plastic wears. And, I, and the reason I know this is because – this company I was chair of, we actually went on then to design out of plastic um, uh, these electronic locking systems which required no power. It's a complicated story but um, our our Achilles heel was that buyers of our product and we were selling to all the big tech titans around the world um, to, for their data centres, they were asking us what is the life of the lock which was made out of plastic 
and we then used to test this stuff in labs 24 hours a day, opening and closing 24 hours a day, and we used to, we used to have to make, agree with these organisations that we could give them um, a guarantee that the life would be, that failure would be one in a million. So we had to spend a lot of money and yeah. we had to charge a lot of money for our item. But I know that if you don't give any guarantees, you don't give one a million failure guarantee. So you can build it to whatever level you want and at some stage plastic wears out and I know it does. Yeah. So therefore you can you can argue against people who say there's no life in this, so there's only one life in this. But really with the big game for you is to be able to convince whoever's going to buy this business from you one day that there is a future that people still want to buy these cameras and it's not just a fad. Yeah. So how do you get around the fad? Do you think it's a fad? I thought it was a fad. I don't know how long it was going to last. I almost think that we've contributed to the trend a little bit. We've kept it alive. But I know it's not a fad because companies like Kodak are following. Like the old Kodak? Yeah. Who went bankrupt? Yeah. yeah. They've got a very similar camera. They manufacture in the same factory as us. Oh, For, really? Yeah. Yeah. So there's, there's your obvious buyer. Yeah. If you, <laughs> if you can make a big, but if you can make a big enough noise. Yes, exactly. create a big enough disruption to what they think their plans are, for example, in Australia or anywhere else in the world for that matter, the easiest thing for big organisations like that is just to buy you. Yeah, and their camera's great, but it's not Gen Z ready. It doesn't right. look like something I would want to purchase. That's interesting. It's what's an old school. It's not old school, but it's more directed at someone like me. Yeah, it's old colours. It's yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Still yellow and brown or whatever those colours It is. Used it's to be. the dark mustard yellow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a shocker. And we've got a beautiful pastel yellow. Yeah, no, no, I can uh, – on top of this one. Yes. Yeah, as well as the blue one. Yeah. Can you choose? Can can buyers choose their colours? They can't. Nothing's customizable, but we offer yellow, blue, green, pink. Oh, pink. I was going to say pink would be. I would have thought like a dusty pink would be f- pretty cool. We've got dusty pink. We've got hot pink for breast cancer. Yeah. Yeah. yeah okay. That's good. Cool. That's on. very clever. So, in in terms, oh, I'm going to have to wrap up. Is it, what what other? Do you have any other questions for me apart from scalability? And um, I think we we determine scalability is only equal to the amount of people in Australia who could use it once. So any other questions you have for me? I think I'm really interested in how how do you think that Gen Z is going to revolutionise the workplace in the next 20 years? How do you think, what skills do you need to deal with Gen Z? In terms of staff? Yeah, and employability. Yeah. Employability. I think Gen Z could be in for a shock because mm. I think if um, all the predictions are correct and that is in 2023 we have a tougher period, then Gen Z, Gen Z will be in for a shock in terms of they've got to start changing A, their mindset, but also more probably more important their expectations about how they can live their work life. Yeah. So all of us, but particularly Gen Z, got exposed to the COVID work from home period, which if you had the wrong mindset, you could make a bludge but still get paid. Um, and now that's that's starting to change, but still it's pretty hard to move them out of more than two days, of, uh, more than three days in the work office at the moment, In which point, at which point you probably feel as though you're you the employer not getting enough productivity or at least you're not getting vision of productivity. That's a big difference, but you might be getting productivity but you're not getting the vision of it. Gen Z's expectations need to be shocked. Just like any rhythm, in order to get the rhythm reset, I want my phone. It's not giving the right rhythm. It's doing stupid stuff for me. I turn it off and I reset it. 
I give it a shock. I shock the system. We need to have a shock. I think that's the only way it's going to happen. If we don't get a recession and if we, and in that recession we don't get unemployment to change, in other words, to creep up, um, we will not get a reset because we won't get a shock. Do I think there's going to be a shock this year? Yes, I do think. And I think even if we don't have a recession, I think with a flood of immigrants coming back to Australia, big times, particularly since China just recently told their students in China, you can no longer do online courses around the world. Yeah, wow, I didn't know that. That was released by the Chinese government last week, which means Chinese students are two-thirds of the way through an online course here in Australia, University in Australia, now must attend Australia. Yeah. So, and our government here, they've at least said this, I don't know if they're actually doing it, but they've said this, they are trying to process visas at a much faster rate than they've ever done before. They've got a big backlog of it and borders are open. So if all of a sudden we get an influx of people in Australia and Canada or America uh, from places like China and India especially um, and other Asian countries and they start taking and they're all going to earn money because, you know, they've got to pay the rent. Rents are very high so in Australia so you've got to, you've got to earn a quid. Those people will start to push unemployment sideways and upwards. Then if you overlay that with a, a recession and the cost of living increases, I think we could see an unemployment number go from three and a half to close to five in yeah. the next 12 months. That will be the shock that we need because all of a sudden people will say, Gen Z or whoever will say, you know what, I better start being prepared to work five days a week in the office. I also think Gen Z don't want to start from the bottom. They never do. And I think we need to learn that you've got to start somewhere. You've got to start from the bottom. Yeah, you Otherwise you don't learn. You've got to learn every step. Yeah. You know, it's funny if you're running a restaurant and you're not a chef and you've never worked behind the bar and you've never opened up a bottle of wine for someone, you never run that restaurant property properly because you've got to know what it's like to be a chef. You've got to know what it's like to be in the, the kitchen when it's all the drama's happening. You've got to know how to uncork a bottle properly. You've got to know... Um, you know how to. You're going to know how to run a, a, a restaurant. You're going to know how to run the business, and you've got to start from the bottom. Otherwise, you'll never be able to run the business. These people who think that oh, I can own the business and not never have done the hard yards, like you have. You've done the hard yards. You know how hard it is to make this box. You know how hard it is to deal with people in wherever you get your stuff made in China. For, in this example, you know how they hassle you, and you know how they will trick you mm. into believing things. And you, if you're naive, you'll fall into the trap. Gen Z, and I'm not here to make a general, you know, criticism of them because it's not their fault. They've just never had to experience these things. But they need to understand that if anything changes, if we have a shock to the system, they're going to have to change as well. Yeah. They're going to have to reaccommodate the system because the system prevails all the time at the end of the day. You can't beat the system. I don't give a shit how hard you try. You can't beat the system. And you need to reaccommodate yourself. You know, you have to be into this new system. And if we have a new system, there's going to be a lot of people going to be very unhappy. So when it comes to your staff, I don't think you do anything. I think you just let it happen and watch it play out. Don't be, you don't need to be proactive in these situations. Then as if it plays out, as it plays out, then you become the guiding force. In other words, you help them out. You yeah. rescue them from that. And you're lucky you are only 22, so you can help them. But you actually give them the hand of reason and go and say, look, I know it's tough. 
Um, maybe you need to go and do a course, an extra course. You know, maybe you need to come in five days a week. You need to work extra couple of hours a, a, in the evening because you know I can't afford to pay you overtime. But if you know because the business is not making as much money as it used to, but therefore we have to cut our costs. We have to cut the cost to suit. Um, you can then start to be the hand and explain to them why you are doing things. But if the shock doesn't occur, we're stuck. All of us, we're stuck with these people. The only thing that could occur then is if we're getting an influx of people who want to work or more importantly who need to work yeah. as immigrants. And then if that happens, then again we can there will be pressure put on these individuals and it will be pretty blatantly obvious that their jobs will be getting their jobs currently will be getting supplanted by those people who actually want the job and are prepared to do five days a week, if that's the case. We COVID created a structural change in so many places. The two big structural changes in the world in the last 22 years was 9-11 in terms of how you travel and how you live. That was a massive structural change. The GFC did not do structural change. It changed nothing. The banks still behave just as badly now as they did then. But COVID has created a structural change. We need something big to give us a new structural change in relation to people's expectations, particularly young people's expectations. And I think potentially there is one coming. That's a really good answer. Yeah, Yeah. that's great. Well, I want to wish you all the best. I love this idea. I actually really love it. I think it's beautifully boxed. It's a great gift. You know, I think that if nothing else, and there's so many gifting opportunities we have these days, you know, that, you know, Unfortunately, Mother's Day, Father's Day, Valentine's Day, Christmas Day, birthday, <laughs> they just go on and on and on. There is a screaming marketplace for great gift ideas, beautifully boxed, well-priced, beautiful item with some nostalgia in it, um, cool. I think you hit it. You're right on the money there. Thank you, Mark. That means a lot. Well done. Thanks for listening to another episode of The Mentor with Mark Boris. Audio and production is by Jessica Smalley. Production assistance, Simon McDermott. This is a mentored podcast.